Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. <clears throat> now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, most afternoons, at least in the warmer months, I've got a few more weeks left before it gets too crazy. Uh, but most afternoons, you can see me walking up and down 5th Avenue or 3rd Avenue or 86th Street or the Shore Road Promenade um, with my headphones in, pushing my son in a big yellow stroller. Um, just about every day in the warmer months, um, my son and I, we go on a walk in the afternoon. And my son, he takes in the sights. He loves the water down by the shore. Um, but I've always, on those walks, I've got my headphones in and I listen to podcasts. Does anybody else listen I listen to podcasts all the time. Great way to commute, everything. One of the podcasts, though, that I listen to um, regularly is called This American Life. Um, it's a radio show on National Public Radio led by, um, hosted by Ira Glass. And years ago, on one of my walks with my, sons, I heard, with my son, I heard an episode titled My Own Worst Enemy. And Ira Glass tells the story of Dan Blumberg. Now, Dan Blumberg absolutely loves crab meat. It's his favorite thing to eat. He's obsessed with it. He eats crab meat all the time, just about multiple times a week. But there's only one problem with this, and it's actually a pretty major problem, and that problem is that Dan Blumberg is deathly allergic to crabs, uh, deathly allergic to shellfish. I mean, his lo he loves it, but he eats it. He eats it all the time, but he's deathly allergic to it. It could kill him. I mean, it literally could kill him. He tells stories on the, on the interview here. He tells stories of numerous close calls that he's had, you know, where his face has swollen up like hitch and or whatever. And um, I mean, he's told all these stories where he's had all these close calls where he's almost died. And after one very near fatal experience eating crab meat, the host of the show, Ira Glass, interviews the guy and he says, is this near fatal experience... 
Is it enough to stop you? And he says, of course not. (laughs) I just now take more serious measures. He says, now when I go to eat crab meat, I bring with me a whole thing of Benadryl, my inhaler, and an EpiPen in case it gets bad. Okay? (laughs) And this is what he said. I, I, I promise this is what he said. Quote, he said, the poisoning myself is not that bad. The worst part is that I get sleepy from the Benadryl. That's what he says. And in Hourglass, the host says, wait a minute. Did you just say that poisoning yourself is not that bad? And he replied, he said, yeah. I mean, I like crab fish or crab meat. What can I say? I like it. What can I say about it? And then the voiceover as the internet, as the, as this podcast is closing out, the voiceover says, we all have one area of our lives in that NPR voice. You know, I can't do it. It says, we all have one area of our lives, one vice, one desire, where every time the cock crows thrice, we find ourselves back at the entrance of the ER asking for a doctor with a guilty look on our faces. There you go. The show says we are our own worst enemies. We continue to poison ourselves with the things that we know we should not do. We continue to do the things, repeat the things over and over and over again in our lives that we know are not best for us. Often the way we eat, often our lack of exercise, but then spiritually speaking, often our ability, our tendency to, even, in the, even though we know we don't want to do certain things, we still give in to the temptation and the lies and the, the attractiveness to do certain things that we know we should not do. Dallas Willard, who is a, um, a pastor who recently passed away, he said, we devise, we as Christians, sinful Christians as we are, we devise every imaginable scenario to not do what God says is best. See, we have been studying the book of Galatians here on Sundays here at Crossroads. And last week we studied a little bit of chapter 5. And we talked about life in the Spirit. This is what Paul, the Apostle Paul who writes this letter, is what he's talking about. He's saying life in the Spirit, what it means to walk with God, and then life in the flesh. And he compares and contrasts these two. He says the difference between walking in the Spirit and walking in the flesh. And the way he defines, the way Jesus even defines it, is not just the life in the Spirit and life in the flesh, but the way of God and the way of self. See, life in the flesh is when we continue to choose to do things that we know are not good for us spiritually. We continue to do things that we know are killing us. Things that we do that we know take us further from where God wants us to take us and where God wants us to be. See, life in the flesh is having a bent toward our own selfishness. And it's when walking in disobedience to God and having a lack of concern for others. And Paul says, were it not for the Spirit in your life, you would be totally dominated by your flesh. But the promise of the God, he, if it weren't for the Spirit's work in your life, it weren't, if it weren't for God intervening in your life, if He took the governor off, so to speak, in your life, you would do so many things in your life that are just destructive. This is the testimony of the Scriptures. And Paul says, were it not for the Spirit, we would be dominated for our flesh. But the promise of the gospel is that not only are our sins forgiven by Jesus and that we one day get to go to heaven, but the promise of the gospel is that when we become followers of Jesus, we are given His Spirit. God's Spirit is given to us so that we can walk in obedience toward God and with compassion toward others. And so what does life in the Spirit, what does it look like to walk in the Spirit? How can you know if you're walking in the Spirit? That's the question. 
And in today's passage in chapter 5, the Apostle Paul gives a diagnostic to determine if we are walking in the Spirit. He says, if you're walking in the Spirit, this is the type of person you will be. You'll be loving. You'll have peace. You'll be patient. You'll be kind. You'll be good. You'll be faithful. You'll be gentle. And you'll have self-control. And over the next, several, over the next two months, we're actually going to study each of these little character traits. But today we just want to have a 30,000 foot view of, of this idea of the fruit of the Spirit. What does it look like to walk in the Spirit? To be loving, to be joyful, to be peaceful, patient, kind. And I want to make three observations of this passage and then offer, hopefully, some practical application again for how we can walk in the Spirit. And so here's the first observation. And this is going to sound familiar because I said this last week. But life in the Spirit, it's what you, life in the Spirit is what you ultimately want for your life. This is what you ultimately want. Look at what Paul says in verse 16. He says, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. Listen, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Listen, don't you want to be loving? Don't you want to be peaceful and patient and kind and good and faithful and gentle and self-controlled? I want those things. I'm not always those things in the moments where I'm not walking in the Spirit. I'm not always those things, but if you asked me on any day, I would say, this is what I want to be. Life in the Spirit is what you want. And Paul says that life in the flesh actually keeps you from doing these things. See, this is what you want. You want these things because this is what you were made for. You were made to be loving and kind and self-controlled. And see, the work of the Spirit in your life, this is why this Holy Spirit is a gift. And Jesus even told His disciples that it was better for them to have the Holy Spirit inside of them than to have Him with them. I mean, this is Jesus Himself who told His disciples, I know you love me, I know that we're friends, but it is better for me to die, rise from the dead, and ascend into heaven and leave you so that you can get the Spirit. And that's crazy to me. Because in my mind, I'm thinking, no, how would, how would it not be better to have Jesus of Nazareth standing right beside me telling me what to do? Jesus says, no, it's better that I go away so that I can send the Spirit to live within you to show you the way you ought to walk. Because the, the purpose of the Spirit in your life is to teach you the way to go in which to become like Christ. The Spirit gives you the power, the motivation, and the ability to see what it would look like for you to, to become like Christ. And if, if you are wondering, what does it look like to be like Christ? What does it look like to be like Jesus? The passage says it. Jesus was always loving. He was always peaceful. He was always joyful. He was always kind. He was always good. See, C.S. Lewis um, often explained that... <clears throat> C.S. Lewis often explained that the clearest example... That Jesus, uh, Jesus Christ is the clearest example of what it means to be fully human. If you want to know what it... See, we all feel like we're a shell of what we could be. We don't feel fully human in some sense. We feel like there's something missing in our lives. C.S. Lewis says, if you want to know what it's like to be fully human, look at Jesus. Because Jesus was the fullest human that's ever lived. He lived life to the fullest more than anybody else ever has. See, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, is a picture of what it looks like to be fully human. To live a life without sin. To live a life fully with God. To experience the fullness of God. Paul calls this true freedom. See, true freedom 
So we talk about freedom a lot in our culture. We're a free country. Um, we talk about freedom when, as, it, as it pertains to everything in our lives. We want to be free. But listen, true freedom is not the ability to do whatever you want to do. That's not freedom. True freedom is the ability to do what you were made to do. See, we often think that freedom is the absence of boundaries, the absence of restrictions. We think freedom is no rules, no limits. But actually, freedom is having the right rules and the right limits set in place, having the right parameters. Guardrails are a good thing on the highway. Laws are a good thing for a just and good country, right? To have a free country, there must be some restrictions. That's what checks and balances for. That's what the three branches of the government are for. All of those things are to protect our freedom, not to inhibit it. See, true freedom is not the ability to do whatever. It's the ability to operate fully as, it, as you were intended to operate. See, this is what you were created for. And the Holy Spirit is dead set into making you into this kind of person. If you will listen to Him and obey Him. See, this is what you want more than anything. You want the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. You want to walk in the Spirit. But most of us have trouble remembering this. And often we have a tendency to forget what it is we really want. This is why when we're tempted with certain things, we drift toward those things. Because we think in the moment that's what we want, but we, we forget that what we really want is to be this type of person. Which is the second observation. Ultimately, you will do what you want to do. In your life, the decisions you make, you will ultimately make the decisions you want to make. You will do what you want to do. See, life, you, each of us here, we are a set of conflicting desires. See, what you do is always a result of what you desire most in that moment. See, one teacher says that the outcome of your daily life is the result of you yielding to a dominant desire in your life, flesh or spirit. See, you do what you want to do, period. Your sin patterns, your bad habits, your destructive decisions, you must take responsibility for them. People say to me, the devil made me do it, pastor. No, he didn't. <laughs> you did it because you wanted to do it. He may have tempted you. The enemy may tempt you in some ways. But you did it because you wanted to do it. That pattern in your life that you can't walk away from, you ultimately choose to do that every day. And in the end, what you want, you take. We do what we ultimately want. And see, for Christians, we live our lives in between these two ideas of justification and glorification. Meaning this theological concept of justification, which is our old selves. The old me is dead and gone, said Justin Timberlake, right? But now we live as new selves, right? The scriptures say. Your old self has been crucified, now you have a new self. And we live in this contradiction because our old selves still sort of compete with our desire. Our old selves still say, you want this, you want this. But our new selves say, but what I really want is life in the Spirit. See, we live with these two conflicting desires. We want to be like God, we want to walk in the Spirit, but yet we're still tempted to walk in the flesh, to walk in sin. And so often we have two desires when we are tempted. To indulge the flesh or to kill the flesh and walk in the Spirit. And our outcome, every day, the decisions you make are decided by what you want most in that moment. So you see this in everyday life. You are a set of conflicting desires. You want to lose 20 pounds, right? But that falafel cart right across the street from your office, right? That's so bad for you, but it's cheap and it's quick, you know? 
you want to lose 20 pounds, but then Eddie's Bagels is right next to my office. And I'm like, but I got to have a bagel today. You want to have a better work-life balance, but you can't seem to leave the office on time. You overwork. You become stressed out over your job. You don't rest enough. You don't have recreation enough. You want to spend more time in prayer. This is what I want. I want to be someone who prays a lot. But I need those extra 30 minutes of sleep. You want to make good grades in school, right? You college students. But season one of Luke Cage just came out, right? And Netflix is calling and it says, next episode coming up in 10 seconds. You're like, why not? One more, right? You want to be an involved parent. But first you got to check Instagram, right? See, we're a set of conflicting desires. We want certain things. We want to be thin, but we also want to eat whatever we want. We want to do certain things. We want to achieve certain things, but then we want also to not do those things. And we laugh, but listen, every time, that you, every time you choose lust over self-control or envy over peacefulness or anger over patience or materialism over contentment, what you are doing is you're giving in to a greater desire. And those desires reveal the state of your heart in those moments. And what we need and what the Spirit promises is that you can have a new heart and that He can shape and change your desires. Here's my third observation. Do not underestimate the flesh, meaning do not underestimate your sinful tendencies, but also do not underestimate the power of the Spirit in your life. Here's what I mean. Here's the flesh. See, when you became a Christian, when you become a Christian, you begin, your desire is to walk in the Spirit. Your desire to put these sinful things behind you. This is what, I mean, this is what our, most of our conversion stories were. I once was this, but God changed me and I don't want to be that anymore. I mean, that's our stories. We want to walk in the Spirit. And oftentimes we wish that go, okay, when I come to Christ, when I become a follower of Jesus, what we hope is that all of our temptations go away. And that all of our desires go away, but they don't. We still have those same desires, even though we don't want them anymore. And in order to defeat those desires and to walk beyond them and to walk in the Spirit, you must have a greater desire. And this is confusing to some Christians because we wonder why we can still struggle with certain things even after decades of following Jesus. You thought you'd be over it by now. I thought I'd be better in this area by now. I thought I would stop getting, I thought I'd be more self controlled by now. I thought that I wouldn't be so angry all the time. I thought I, would, I wouldn't be so quick tempered. I've been following Jesus for this long. I thought I'd be better. So why does your sinful flesh, why does your sinful tendency still seem to make demands? I mean, doesn't this passage say that those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires? And the question is, well, if your, if your sinful desires have been crucified, then why do they still war against us? Why? I heard one pastor say, uh, here in New York City, use this analogy. He said, consider a first century crucifixion. Not, don't think Jesus right now, just think crucifixion, Roman crucifixion. A verdict has been delivered. A, someone has been sentenced to death. And at that moment, they are essentially a walking dead man. They are, they've been sentenced to death, die a brutal death on a cross. See, at that moment, even though they are alive, they're, for all practical purposes, they are a walking dead man. But then the process of crucifixion in the first century was that first, as you know from Jesus, you would first be beaten, you'd be publicly ridiculed. Then you would have to pick up your cross and carry it, sometimes miles 
from the courthouse, from the, the, the courtroom to the, where you would be crucified. You'd have to carry a big heavy cross after you've been beaten. Then while you're hanging on the cross, you'll be beaten, you'll be stabbed, you'll be spit on, you'll be, all of these things. I mean, you will be, there's, it's a constant process. But if you study first century crucifixion, you find out that people would make demands during that process. Somebody's carrying their cross to their own death and they would say, could somebody please help me carry this? I'm too weak. Even Jesus did this. I'm too weak. Can somebody help me carry the cross? And oftentimes the Roman guards would let somebody help them carry the cross. When someone was hanging on the cross, sometimes for hours they would be on that cross. And they would say, could you give me something to drink? I'm thirsty. Could you give me something to eat? And oftentimes the Roman guards would give them something to drink. See, someone is essentially, they are dead. They are being crucified. They are a walking dead man. But they are still making demands even as they're dying. And see, the promise of the Spirit is that you will one day become like Christ when God comes and He renews and restores all things. You will be like Christ. But in the mean, and on that day, your sinful desires will no longer plague you. You will not have temptations to lust. You will not have temptations to get angry. Those things will be lifted and they will be gone. But in the meantime, we live, even though our, our sinful desire, the consequences of our sins have been crucified, the temptation of our sins still lives with us. So it's like a dead man still making demands on our lives. J.R. Vassar, who used to pastor here in the city, says that our fleshly desires are like the dying wishes of a man being crucified. See, your flesh wants certain things. And when I say flesh, I mean sinful desires. Your sinful desires want certain things. You want to do certain things. That's what you want. That's what your, your flesh says. You want that thing. But you don't have to give in to that. You don't have to give in to that. Also, I would say, one just practical way of walking away from sin patterns in our life is don't under, don't give opportunity to arouse the flesh in your life. Don't put yourself in situations that awaken sinful desires. See, if you struggle with materialism, stay off Amazon. <laughs> don't go to Fulton Street or 86th Street. If you, if you are an envious or a jealous person, stay off social media. Because everybody else's family, everybody else's lives, everybody else's meals look better than yours. And you, you get jealous really easily. Because everybody else has their perfectly curated life and you're just over there sitting in your pajamas, you know, eating like microwave pizza or whatever. See, I, here, here's, a, here's a, a serious way. I have a friend who has a, um, a sex addiction. And several weeks ago or several months ago, his roommate uh, left town for the weekend and he knew about this for a while. And so his roommate was going out of town and he knew he was going to be alone all weekend. And he knew that for him, he's in counseling, he's in support groups, he's in recovery groups, and he knew that his addiction, he said, if I'm alone without my roommate, that is a recipe for disaster. And so he knew that his loneliness could breed him being tempted and falling into the addictive cycle that he was trying to escape. So what did he do? He booked a flight to New York City to come visit Rebecca and I. <laughs> and he, said, he just said, hey, I've got to get out of town. I've got to get out of town. Can I just come crash with you guys for the weekend and see the city? And we said, absolutely. So he, we did that. he did that so that he would not be alone. Because he knew that his loneliness is what would often breed temptation. And the temptation would breed him falling back into a cycle that he's trying to leave behind. See, that's smart. He knows the ways in which his sin, his sinful heart entices him. And he says, you know what? I'm not going to let it do that. I'm in home field advantage, right? Sports fans. 
And I'm not a Cubs fan, but I think we're all Cubs fans right now. That's like everything on everybody's mind right now. If you've ever played any sport, you know how important home field advantage is. The home team always has a benefit. If you take two teams that are equal and and they're playing a game, the Vegas, the Las Vegas betting odds are always going to give a little bit of an edge to the team that's playing at home. Why? Because there's a home field advantage. You're playing in a familiar arena. You have cheers for your players instead of booze. You can sleep in your own bed the night before. All these things give you an advantage in sports if you have a home field advantage. So often, though, in our spiritual lives, we put ourselves in our sinful desires. We put ourselves in our flesh's home field. And we we don't play home field advantage. We take away our advantage if we give the flesh the upper hand. See, don't underestimate the flesh in your life. Your sinful desire can entice you to do things that you know you don't want to do. But listen, I would say this too. Don't underestimate the Spirit, the power of the Spirit in your life. Ezekiel, uh, Ezekiel 36 in the Old Testament says, this is a promise from God. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That's a promise in the Old Testament from a prophet that said God is going to send His Spirit and His Spirit is going to motivate you to live out the commands of God. And through the Spirit, God is working in your life to give you desires that are greater than the desires of the flesh. And see, the truth for you is that although it may feel like the flesh always seems to win, you do not have to stay the same. That addiction you have, you do not have to stay the same. You can change. See, the Spirit desires to make you like Jesus, to make you more loving, more joyful, more kind. So those are three observations. Let me give you a practical, some practical applications. How do we win this battle? How do we walk in the Spirit? And if you're, if you're perceptive, you'll notice we're going to walk through the Trinity here. First thing, in order to walk in the Spirit, is constantly remind yourself, believe that you are a child of God. Listen, this is not a cliche or a trite statement. Child of God. Believe you're a child of God. As much as it sounds like that's just a cliche pastor speak. The phrase child of God is not some throwaway generic statement for what it means to be a Christian. It is, at its core, an identity statement. It is the truest thing about you if you are a follower of Jesus. You have been called a son or a daughter. You have received all that sons and daughters are entitled to. Which means that God is good. And He is a good Father and He is trustworthy and He is generous. St. Augustine, um, an African theologian from the 3rd century, says... That if the entire Bible could be encapsulated in a single sentence, then it would cry out like the resounding waves of the seas, The Father loves you. The Father loves you. You're a beloved child of God. And when you want something that is in contradiction to God's will for your life, when you you sin, when you give into temptation, what you have done in that moment is you have not believed that your Father, your Heavenly Father is a good and trustworthy Father. If you, the moments you disobey God, in those moments, your problem, more than your sin, is that you're not trusting God. You're not believing that He is trustworthy and that His commands are for your good. See, when you get yourself into an unhealthy relationship because you fear being single, the reason you're doing that is because you're not trusting that God is a good Father and that He will provide for your needs. When you are not generous, when you're stingy, Scriptures say, give of our money to the poor, to the needy. When you are not generous with your life, with your money, with your time, 
It's because you've stopped believing that your father is a good and generous father that will give you what you need. When you're envious or when you're jealous of others, it's because you've stopped believing what the father says about you is true. You've stopped believing that you're an accepted child of God. You've stopped believing that he's pleased with you. When you refuse to take time off work to rest, when you work 70, 80 hours a week, you're not believing God when he says to take a day of rest. And this is for me. I, work, I overwork. Yesterday, my wife and I turned off. If you emailed me yesterday, I haven't responded because I turned off my phone yesterday. Because we said, look, we've been going, 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 going. We need to rest. And so we took what the scriptures call a Sabbath yesterday. We should do it every week. And we just rest. We turned our phones off. We spent time with our family. We went and got some. We, I, went for, uh, I went to go have some coffee and just hang out. See, when you refuse to take time in your week to rest, when you overwork, you are not believing God when He says that a day of rest is what you need to be the most productive. See, there's nothing in this life that you could possibly want that is contrary to God's will that you ultimately need. You say there are some things that I want. There are things, I want this. If it's contrary to God's will, you don't need that thing. Because God is a good Father and what He demands of you is always for your joy and for your satisfaction. See, God wants to give you what you really want. Second practical application, meditate on Jesus. See, the ultimate goal of the Spirit is to make you more like Jesus. How can you become like someone you don't know? See, if you're not spending time in the Scriptures, if you're not taking time to know Jesus, how are you going to become like Him? So you must get to know Jesus through the Scriptures, through prayer, through community. And when you meditate on Jesus, the Spirit will guide you to develop an admiration for Him. And the Spirit will empower you to imitate Jesus. See, once again, this is why the local church is important. To constantly keep our minds focused on Jesus. This is why your personal life, your personal devotion is important. To keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. See, if you want your eyes, if you want your flesh to become weaker, then you must fix your sights on Jesus. Um, here's a good exercise. Think to yourself, all the things in your life, when you're tempted to sin, when you're tempted to overwork, when you're tempted to overeat, when you're tempted to scream at your kids, or when you're tempted to ignore your spouse, or when you're tempted to look at that website, or when you're tempted to whatever, think to yourself, in Jesus' name, and just think how absurd it sounds. In Jesus' name, I'm going to look at that website. In Jesus' name, I'm going to overwork and ignore my family. In Jesus' name, I'm going to speak angrily to my kids. In Jesus' name, I'm going to be easily offended by every criticism that my boss gives me. In Jesus' name, I'm going to hate my body. In Jesus' name, I'm going to spend all my money on things I don't need. In Jesus' name, I'm going to pass judgment on the homeless man on the street or the immigrant in my building. In Jesus' name, I'm going to vote for... I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. All right. See, when we do that... See, our lives, we live for the glory of the name of Jesus. And when you're tempted, when you're living your life, think, can I do this? Can I live my life in Jesus' name? And then your sin starts to become very absurd. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. It's an old song churches have been singing for years. When you behold Jesus, you start to become like Him. And finally, this is what I'll close with. Affirm the work of the Spirit in your life. Do you want to walk in the Spirit? 
Affirm the work of the Spirit in your life. See, celebrate the moments you see yourself becoming more patient and more kind. See, I think we often fail to grow and walk in the Spirit because we don't take time to recognize that the Spirit is actually working in us. See, it's not an accident that you just happen to feel compassion toward that person on the street. You know when you're walking down the street and there's all these needs around you here in our city, but you know like that sometimes you're just drawn to someone on the street and you have compassion for them. That's not you. That's the Spirit working within you. Affirm that moment. Go, God, you gave me the heart to see that person and show compassion on them. It, wasn't an ac- it isn't an accident when you show kindness towards someone or when you're patient with your children. Can I get an amen? Parents, my kids are crazy. And any day that I don't lose my mind, that's, that's the Spirit working within me. I'm like, I'm filled with the Spirit today because I didn't absolutely lose it. See, those times when you felt like indulging the flesh, those times when you were tempted, when your roommate was out of, out of the apartment and you were tempted to look at that website, you were tempted to do that thing and you didn't do it, that's the Spirit working in your life. Don't uh, take time to affirm that. And thank God that the Spirit is making you more like Christ. Even if sometimes it's happening slowly, that God is conforming you into the image of Jesus. That's a promise. Romans 8.29, it says, For those whom God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. That is a promise. God is making you like Jesus. And it is accomplished through the Spirit working in your life. And when you take time in your life to affirm and celebrate the moments where the Spirit is making you more joyful, more patient, more kind, more self-controlled, when you affirm those things, you'll begin to be more aware of the work of the Spirit in your life, and you'll begin to sense Him in your life, and you'll be able to walk in Him more freely in your life. And you'll develop confidence and assurance that it is possible to walk in the Spirit, and that God is making you more like Christ in time. Let's pray.